Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Convention just oh, after they recording Scylla, the sing surround. <laughs> sing, sorry, sing surround yourself with sorrow. Of course, that's the name. That's when they used, used to have the, the lyrics. It was like smashes, wasn't it? Johnny Cash, hear his latest chart-breaking release. This is a Record Mirror from uh, oh, 1967, August the 12th. This is right smack in the middle of the summer of love, isn't it? An advert on the front. Uh, of course they had adverts on the front. They always had adverts on the front. Numerous Express always had adverts on the front. So, you know, Record Mirror did the same thing. And you've got this extraordinary kind of trippy photograph of Pink Floyd without even a caption saying it's Pink Floyd. Oh, yes, it does. It says up the side, the Pink Floyd. And then at the bottom, it's got another great single from Frank Sinatra, The World We Knew. <laughs> so... Uh, targeting somewhat less than scientific in those days. Are we recording? Yep. Also, the headlines aren't very uh, tricksy or pun-laden, are they? This, this headline couldn't be more prosaic. Neil Young tour dates. It's fair enough. Fair enough. It does what it says in the tin. Look. Now, the reason we're doing this, we're going through a load of old music papers because we've been, been joined oh, by... Neil Young tour hitch. Sorry, <laughs> I've, just got the, I've just got the next week. Is that the hey, week after? Oh, my Lord. Grateful dates. We've been joined by Pete Perfides, oh. who's brought in... Hello. Hello, Pete. He's brought in on his bike two huge, great bags of old music papers because you've been the sensation of Twitter this, this week. Let's well, not beat about I, the bush. That's a, that's a very uh, a soup son of exaggeration there, I think. In your, <laughs> well, in, in my your little world, you've well, been... Well, in my little... I, I, yes, well, OK. Tell well, us how it happened, to... Pete. Well, I went to uh, a record shop that I frequent once in a while and, um, and um, the, um, the owner said, I've got this stack of music papers uh, that I think you might be interested in. And uh, and I, and so I said, yes, I am. I'm very interested. So he, he acted very trustingly. He gave me a huge box of them to take away. He said, just go through them, choose the ones that you want to, you want, and then make me an offer for the ones you want. And uh, I I knew what was in there. So I didn't dare look at them until I'd have had a chance to sift through them and enjoy, and then go back to him and say, okay, these are the ones I'm going to have. He said, make me an offer, and I did. And um, and so um, so I kind of assembled them in a pile. First opportunity I had, Sunday morning, uh, put, uh, put them on the kitchen table. And then I sent out a tweet saying, I've got, um, I bought this huge job lot of music papers from the late 60s and early 70s. I think today is going to be a really good day. And um, and then as Understandably. I... Understandably. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like absolute heaven. <laughs> it's I, just my idea of bliss. <laughs> I ignored my children for the yes, next sort of six hours. Yeah, it's better to match it to play <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah. Yeah. I threw I threw Kit Kats randomly at them for the rest of the day. Yeah, and uh, quite right. And uh, and, and basically just sort of tweeted sort of highlights, just kind of things that kind of gave a contemporary flavour of what was going on. You got one here, if I can quote, that uh, I think must be from the original review of Dark Side of the Moon. I don't know which publication this was in. Melody Maker. It says, relies too heavily on taped sound effects of heartbeats, plane crashes and insane utterances. (laughs) Could do better. See me. (laughs) 
Well, the rock just critic the, has superior understanding of, of the concept. It's the question. kind of thing people are going to say in an instant first-time yeah. review, well, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it relies too heavily ones. on lunacy and heartbeat. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you don't, this is the thing, you know, the, you don't have the, uh, the, you know, the hindsight with which to... Uh, and, and in fairness, there, there are many things I've written over the years which if I thought people in 30 years' time... Or more, we're going to be looking back at them and picking over what an idiot I was for saying them. It, it, what, what it keys into, as you say, is his gut reaction. Isn't it? We ran a very, yeah. I thought, a very funny quiz right, two years ago in Word, where we got a load of these old uh, magazines and, and printed things that, and you had to guess who were their descriptions of. So they were either there was two gears. They were either enormously enthusiastic things saying this guy is going to be, you know, the the, 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 the saviour of rock and roll, and it was someone you'd never heard of, or it was the people who were the saviours of rock and roll being monstrously kicked about the park. <laughs> And it was very entertaining, actually. There's some fantastic stuff here. NME Letters Page 1972. You can play Telegram Sam and sing Get It On To It. Come on, Mr Bolan, let's have some originality. They, got... they could have said that to him quite a few times. <laughs> some justification. Let's be fair. Let's yeah. be fair. It's absolutely extraordinary stuff. What have you, what have you found most amazing? Well, I, just, I think to, in order to get a handle on any era, the best thing you can do is just try and go as, in as much as possible and go back to to the world as it was at the time. And, of course, actually, you know, one thing that illustrates this really well is a, is a really illuminating exchange I had with Chaz Hodges from Chaz and Dave. Of course. Who actually is an incredible man. He's this, <laughs> he was in Head, Hands and Feet, so he's all right for, by me. Well, there you go, yeah. Um, he autographed my Head, Hands and Feet. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, they're about cool. to do their final concert, aren't they, Chaz and Dave? I think they're about to do some big thing I at the O2. I, I think, think Dave's, Dave's, Dave's in kind of one day, Dave's yeah. out the other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Can't decide. Carry on, go Anyway, on. And, um, and, and Chaz is actually this Zellig-like figure who, who, who kind of, whose shadow looms over the entire history of pop music. And now you think that's an exaggeration, but it, it, it isn't. He was in... Uh, he was in Joe Meek's house band. Right. Uh, and, uh, what, with Clem Cattini and all those guys in the yeah. Holloway Road knocking out Telstar yeah, and whatever. Played bass, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then um, from there on, um, he, was, um, he toured the world for a year in the early 60s playing bass for Jerry Lee Lewis. During that year, he scrutinised, he got a chance to watch, you know, the killer at work and um, was a bit handy on the piano anyway. By the end of that year he was effectively ready to move to piano. So he was kind of, he was in with, you know, one of the great rock and roll greats, the inception of rock and roll practically. And uh, from there, he was in Cliff Bennett in the Rubble Rousers. Okay, not one of the great 60s mm-hmm. bands. But he told this great story, and this comes to my point about music right. papers now. He, um, they were supporting the Beatles, and Paul McCartney, um, very friendly guy, as we know, uh, comes, comes into his dressing room with an acetate of the, the f- newly completed Beatles album. Which one was it? A revolver. All right. And um, that one. Oh, that, yes. <laughs> That's true. never heard of again. Yeah, try, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doomed. And an incredibly enthusiastic Paul McCartney says, uh, you know, I just, just, can I just play you our new album? And uh, there's a, like a little record player in the dressing room. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd love to hear it. And, uh, Chaz is working on a song that goes, more rabbit than Sainsbury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, Ch- so, Ch- so Macker is sitting opposite Chaz, staring at him uh, intently as each track kind of comes and goes. Then he gets to Yellow Submarine. And also, as this is where I'm kind of spiritually sort of handing over to Chaz. <laughs> at this, <laughs> Chaz at this point. And so this song starts and like, it goes... We all live in the yellow submarine. I'm looking at Paul, and he's looking at me, and I don't know what to say. And I don't know if he's doing, like some practical joke. And and he says, "Go on, what do you think?" And he's, like, I don't know what I think. And he's, and he just wants to know what I think, and I don't know what to say. I say it's all right, but I didn't know if it was all right at all. <laughs> I he got mad. <laughs> And, uh, what, because he didn't actually live in a yellow submarine? Well, because you imagine, you live in a world where yellow submarine has not been made yet. That's the, yeah. yeah Let's be so. fair. No, that's, that's a yeah, good point. No, I was still, I, I, you, you got me at the point where that was the song that got his attention of the whole record. So, so I'm you being know, unkind. No, I suppose it was a you, radical you concept, know, Imagine if Tom it? York kind of knocked on your door and, and said, you know, and, and, and they said, kind of play you my new song, and it's just some bizarre, whimsical novelty thing. <laughs> is this where's the camera? You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Anyway, um, anyway, so so it's a bit, and obviously head, hands and feet. When you know, when when everyone. 
one was getting it back, getting back in the country. In the country, trying to be the band. He was the the, pla- the original British plaid shirt group. They were exactly. head, hands, and feet. There you go. And then, um, and then he was uh, he was part of the rhythm section, which played on the Labby Sifri song, which was then sampled by Eminem for "My Name Is." So he's even a bit part player in in hip hop. And then, you know, uh, important man. What a fantastic story. And then, you know, Libertines, Pete Doherty, you know, cite them as an influence. Anyway, so there's... Sorry, but my point is, contemporary sort... You know, being there's nothing like being there at the time. And, of course, we don't have TARDISes, but we do have old music papers and headlines like Lady Madonna at number two. Tom, Tom Jones has crushed the Beatles in the battle for the number one slot in the MM Pop 30. And so, and but isn't it see, interesting that you don't have to sell that story very hard? You don't have no. to dress it up because it is intrinsically very fascinating. This is, and this you wouldn't have known any of that until you bought the enemy from July the eighth, nineteen sixty-six. And I'm just going the centre spread news stories, okay? And it's remarkable the number of news stories here that still we know today. You know what I mean? That it announces that the, the title of the Beatles' next album has been announced. It is Revolver. You know, paragraph five, it is called Revolver. It also says, Paul Jones is leaving Man from Man in three weeks. He will be replaced by somebody called Mike Darbo. And I think in the same week, I've lost this, it said that, that, uh, that um, Michelle was leaving the Mamas and Papas and was also being replaced. And Chaos! Paul Simon and Art Garfunkel arrived in London on Tuesday to begin begin promotional dates on their new hit, I Am a Rock. That so is the, isn't you know, it amazing. So this is before past this age, Rosemary and Time, yeah. and uh, Never Mind Bridge Over Trouble Water, and all, all that, all that stuff. It's what you get is an idea of just an incredibly frantic period frantic. of popular music where yeah. things were happening at a staggering speed, weren't they? Absolutely. I mean, you look at the charts. So I've just opened an enemy up at random from February 1972, and they're these records which we regard as, you know, part of the canon. Yes. And, you know, you, th- you just think you would imagine that one every six months appeared, you know. But actually, you know, the ch- you know, you've got Telegram Sam at number two, Have You Seen Her by The Chilites, which is a great song. Um, Slader in there. And then, uh, yeah, American Pie has gone down three places to number 11. Uh, a Horse With No Name. And it just goes on and on. These, these standards, which are just kind of fresh off the... Off the Conveyable. Yeah, and if you turned on Radio Two today, you'd probably hear five of them, you know, <laughs> yes. played in the in the first hour, wouldn't you? They still loom very, very large. I, this was in the glory days when uh, what a music paper sought to do was to to start. Um, Feuds between one group and another. That's how you kept things going. A tradition that was revived years later with Blur and Oasis. Blur and Oasis. Uh, this is uh, Disc and Music Echo from 1966. Beach Boys blasted by the Who. Turn to page 16. I'm going to page 16. Who Boss attacks the Beach Boys. Pete Townsend, Who Boss, attacks Beach Boys' Brian Wilson uh, for making pop music too complex, he said. <laughs> That's good. He'd obviously heard good vibrations. Yeah. Oh, good, yes. It was probably a good record, but who's to know? You have to play it about 90 bloody times to even hear what they're singing about. The same critic who didn't like the heartbeats and lunacy would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Just making life unnecessarily difficult. And, of course, there were regular stories about Elvis, weren't there? The, yeah. Elvis to tour was just an absolute yes, standard. Yes, that's so true. Yeah. I mean, every other week, you know. And then, you know, but that's like the Evening Standard head, uh, headline: uh, b- 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 pop star dies, or, 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 or <laughs> screen idol dies. Absolutely, uh, yeah. One yeah. dies every day, but clearly, if you don't say what their name is, then they're not anybody. Whatever any great yeah, significance. Yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah. I mean, the, this I've just so Dylan's new LP not up to expectations. Which, which LP? <laughs> you is can, it? You can put what? that headline <laughs> run any yeah, time. Keep that on the wall and slap <laughs> it back in every two years. I've got a macro button for that. So, um, yeah, yeah, but Which album? But it's still good, says Richard Green. Um, let's... Uh, let's uh, oh, New Morning. Oh, right. No, well, it's um, not a bad record, still, Yeah, yeah, it's not, um, it's right, not so. absolutely damning. This is Melody Maker from 1971. Jazz and folk shocks in Big Radio 1 Blitz. Jazz has been slashed in a major BBC radio shakeout. Out is jazz record requests. So presumably in those days, Radio 1 used to have a regular jazz show. Well, I guess where, where else would it have gone? I'm not sure that... I, well, I don't know, like the light programme or something like that, I suppose. And the Linda's Farm were joining the Who at the Oval for charity. Uh, that was Bangladesh benefit. Um, extraordinary stuff. Of course, the, the old classic uh, in the centre spread, Melody Maker Band Breakdown. That's what you did. A tradition oh, that was right, later yes, revived yes. in Smash Hits. Yes. But you just took every member of the group and you did oh, yeah. did a profile of each member. People don't do that anymore, do well, they? There's a great, I mean, there's a great subplot going throughout a, lot of, a large part of 1969, whereas one week you'd have um, Robin Gibb, 
who who had who'd recently left the Bee Gees and appeared to be sort of losing his marbles week by week, sort of t- talking about what, what plans he had and sort of disparaging the Bee Gees um, at the same time. And then the Bee Gees would hit back the next week and, uh, and sort of uh, give their side of the story. And this went on for ages and ages until one day suddenly you had this kind of huge centre spread with all of them photographed together and it was all better again. Yes. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, but how PR-led is this? Brilliant. Dave D taking crash Cossack course. Dave D taking a crash course. <laughs> in Russian Cossack oh, was this oh, so that's was, a PR was, that's, what was the hit that's okay. somebody okay. uh, that was the song was okay they had a kind of Cossack oh they did have a kind of Cossack yes, uh, routine didn't they was okay. it uh, the, ben, song, ben, the okay. song was called okay, okay yeah, yeah. I don't remember King that. Ray, King Ray, King King Ray not dare. quitting Pete Townsend discovers singer who's Pete Townsend is raving over a new British singer called Arthur Brown that he's discovered <laughs> at the recent Alexandra Palace Technicolor Dream Show so it's his fault is it it's his fault yes blame him now the Bee Gees are five has anybody found any small ants for gigs? I mean, always oh, yeah, interested yeah, in gig yeah. uh, ticket prices and uh, you know, uh, huge acts and who's at, uh, the bill? Uh, playing absolutely uh, tiny places. Yeah, but my, my favourite. Uh, well, I've got a few. I mean, you had like um, David Bowie doing Trowbridge, I think, um, <laughs> which is quite Trowbridge. Good. And um, there we go. There the we go. In Trowbridge. It was all going crazy with gigs. Uh, Baron Knights, RAF Breeze Norton, I think. <laughs> where, they're, where they're probably playing tonight as well, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Those of them still remaining. Um, Small yeah. lad. Funking good drummer required. With uh, drums to match. <laughs> does it say no time wasters? It does. It usually is ten, no time wasters. Do they still have small... They don't have small ads yeah. for, for musicians anymore, do they, anywhere? Um, that's no, what they used I to say know. was the backbone of the, of the Melody Maker. They well, always used to say that. Yeah. Melody Maker will never close... I remember because... they'll always make a fortune I remember the, the guy that did the listings sort of saying, uh, you know, it's all right looking down at me, but I, my, my bit is the bit that makes pays all your wages. Well, it was in, it was in those days. Oh, here we go. This is one here that you go. tweeted earlier this week. Uh, right, Charlie well. Murray, who's written... In the, in the current issue of Word about his time on the underground press, uh, reviewing Transformer by Lou Reed, which he describes as incredibly irritating, <laughs> too trivial, too lightweight, a one-song album. Can you guess yeah. what the song is? Well, it's Walk of the Wild Side, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty fair to have you know, might that, be quite that's a one good song. assessment, I think, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't, wouldn't hold it against him. Uh, this is somebody reviewing uh, David Bowie, John and I'm Only Dancing from uh, 1972. Screeching vocals... David is capable of doing so much better. It's got the air of school <laughs> reports. School, school report. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Four out of ten. And you really understand why, you know, why bands kind of resent journalists. Because, Completely. you know, there, there are, you know, so many reviews written which are kind of... Well, this is... Well, one great thing about the word is that you don't have the star ratings, which, if I was in a band, would get on my nerves. Which is nerves. why we never appear oh, on well, any well, posters we well, what would annoy you about it if you were in a band? You'd well, like being, star ratings or not? No, no, being graded, being you know, being given marks out they of They love it, you see. If they what get bands? five, if they get five, oh, they're waving about all over for marks. Everyone's an A, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course they do, you know. But it is just a bit kind of, you know, you're two years in the studio and, you know, you get a mark out of five. Well, don't forget the Melody Maker made a, an effort to, to um, come to terms with that by having a policy of only employing writers who could play a musical <laughs> instrument. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. When Ray Coleman was there, you um, this is Chris Welsh, will back me up here. Chris Welsh himself only got the job because he was fairly capable, uh, uh, sturdy anchor man on the, on, the, on the fretless bass guitar or whatever. <laughs> but you had to be able to, because musicians complained, what right has so-called yeah. Peter Perfidi's got well, to yeah. when he can't even play an instrument? It'd be, maybe it'd be quite good if we kept, kept that rule throughout. You'd have sort of huge features written by Mike Lindup from Level 40. <laughs> There's <laughs> another one, The Enemy, 1972, reviewing, uh, 1973, reviewing Stevie Wonder's Talking Book, which they described as monotonous, flat <laughs> and predictable. Mm. I'd love could, to, could, like to go back and rewrite that one. Could do better, Mr Wonder. <laughs> Look um, at this, sorry. Look, The Groundhog, supported by Edgar Broughton, supported by East of Eden, Juicy Lucy, Paladin and Gentle Giant. You must have been there. All of them for £1.50. <laughs> oh, my God. That's in Buxton in Derbyshire at the Pavilion Gardens. Those Buxton. are the, those oh, are the, I would love to Those are the classic that. days of the, uh, the rock sampler album, aren't they? I'm looking they at those really loads are. of small ads yeah, you've got yeah. there. It's, uh, you know, it's like uh, nice enough to eat. Hackensack, yeah, Quintessence, Alan Brown, Van de Graaff Generator. What's interesting Hobbit's about... Hobbit's Garden, and the, supported <laughs> by Radhakrishna Temple. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Did he say Jeff Dexter's... Uh, Jeff Dexter's probably on the... On the 
was it say uh, yeah. lights and Simon lights Stable exactly D- DJ? The it thing is, that, is, go on. Oh, the yeah. thing I was thinking about the thing. Uh, you try, you try and tell the youth of today about the about the glory days of music pages. <laughs> no, it's an interesting point. <laughs> it's, it's, I'm going to tell a slightly boring story. No, go on. Tell, go illustrate on. something. In 1976, I was working for Berserkly Records, and um, Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers were our hit act, hmm. and they were about to tour. They were about to do four dates or something like that. I think that's what it was. And so we had these dates. And the enemy really wanted these dates. And so the agreement was, when you reveal these dates, it's got yeah. to be done with us. You know? Right, OK. And so I had these dates, and I took them to enemy at King's Reach Tower, to Derek Johnson's office. Derek Johnson, who was the news editor, and was kind of the mainstay of the enemy, because news was why people bought it. You well, know, yeah, it yeah. wasn't the huge think pieces no, it was kidding you know, ourselves yeah <laughs> absolutely it was the new release information and the, and the tour dates and so forth and so this is hugely important you used to go into Derek and Derek was completely old school looked like something you know he, he walked off the daily sketch or something like that right and you give him these four dates on the Thursday he would the, the paper would go to press on the Monday it would go to a printer on the Tuesday hmm. it would appear in the West End on the Wednesday and in the rest of the country on the Thursday yeah during which time that information would never leak anywhere yeah. because there was nowhere for the else for that information to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. You know, the, it wasn't the kind Apart of poor... Derek sitting in a pub blabbing. Well, <laughs> no, but there, literally, the there was no... The, news, the, the newspapers were not interested. No, of course. The radio yeah. was not interested. So the television, it just didn't even occur to them. Let alone, you know, obviously, the internet and so forth wasn't there, you know. So any piece of information nowadays, well, yeah. hot yeah. information... Is out in thirty seconds. Well, exactly, it? and it, do, it it does create a kind of intense sort of bond, this kind of tribalism, this kind of intense sort of bond where you know you sort of you do you rely on these things. And I remember even you know when, in the in mid eighties when I was about fifteen, you know, just kind of being excited to walk down the road and see the new Melody Maker and Enemy just <laughs> on 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 the low bit as they were. And then, sort of higher up, you had Smash It and Record Mirror together again, you know, and uh, and the, the and that was that was your morning sorted. And out. what was on the cover of the Enemy Melody Maker when you were buying it? Well, so you would have had when I start well, the people like Echo and the Bunnymen, and uh, a bit later on, people like the House of Love and the Mary Chain, and uh, uh, see what about the simple- same construct on the cover, Bunnymen to tour. Sorry? House of Love split, wouldn't it? It would, it would still have been the big news, probably, yeah. yes. Probably, yeah, maybe. Slightly slight change as to whether it led with news or it led with features in those days. Because you started to get more, uh, you know, big arty Anton called yeah. in pictures of yeah. you know, Iggy Pop or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. it was the big interview was, was the, the, the reason that people were starting to buy it. But it's, even then, you put, I, kind of, I, I think if one's honest, you know, you feel a sense of sort of time... A sort of slowing down, and you know, be there being less vacant, less kind of vacuums where um, 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 things in which things could fall into the canon and be just as important in their generation as they were before. Because it was a, uh, it kind of, uh, but you read these music papers in, in the early seventies, it feels like there's kind of a blank page still being drawn on, but there's kind of feels like there's less and less room on the blank page. And, but uh, also, don't you feel that the the even as a kid, I can remember reading the headlines in in, uh, in New Musical Express. They would be and Melody Maker. There'd be things like uh, Bay City Bonkers, uh, <laughs> Wings, Metal Fatigue. You know, and you could smell uh, the kind of substest of of, of, a, of, a, of a newspaper, which is where whoever wrote that headline had gone. The kind of groovy guy with the uh, with the moustache and the uh, smoked a bit of dope, and somehow finished up on New Musical Express. <laughs> He's still applying the kind of rigors and uh, values of, of the Daily Express to yeah. to the enemy, you know, and that's the way it worked. Can you remember the first thing you had published in the music paper? Uh, yes. Go well, on, tell us well, about it. I'm, I'm kind of not with... Oh, this is good. Um, uh, come on. We're all doing this. <laughs> uh, come on. Go on. Well, with the exception of... Uh, there, there, was a, there was a monthly, an indie monthly called Underground, which was essentially printed on toilet paper. And, um, I, and when I was a teenager, I had a couple of things printed out. And, uh, an interview with Felt, I think. But the first proper an interview thing... with Felt. It's <laughs> <laughs> the place to start. The first, the first proper thing, I would say, would have been in Melody, uh, a Melody Maker, a review of the Sand Kings, um, who were playing uh, in Coventry. Of course, the lead singer of the Sand Kings went on, went on to be the lead singer of Babylon Zoo. Oh, right. And uh, I think I g- gave them a sort of rigorous kicking even then. 
<laughs> and was it really overwritten for kind of... Oh, was I, it, you know, the only ones that under words and you wrote 250 or something oh, like I that? Oh, I tried to keep within the word... I mean, oh, I was terrified. I was, I was absolutely... I was so desperate for it to go in because it was either this or a proper job. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and just... I, I wrote it over and over again, typed it as a typewriter. Polishing that last line. All in all, comma, a belter. And it was still it crap. Reveals. It was still crap, you know. But, um, but th- they took pity upon me. And, what can you remember, Mark? I can remember first. mine... Because it was well, it's, it's far too long and involved a story to tell now. But it, it was it was Elvis Costello and the attractions. At, oh, uh, oh, well, that's uh, well, no, no, but the, that sounds up. good. But the reason is that I used to ring up Record Mirror. Here I am, surrounded by copies of Record Mirror now, extraordinary. And I used to say, look, I'm really keen to do some reviews. And I would write reviews. I worked in a wine bar, and I would write, write reviews of groups unsolicited and put them through the door of Record Mirror and the Enemy, and indeed Melody, but anybody at all, post them, hand hand typed. Uh, handwritten often, and, uh, as I say, uh, uh, unrequired, hoping that one day somebody would just take notice of my keenness and availability. Wow. And one day I rang the record mirror list. Actually, sorry, yeah, I could hear this in the background. Is that a bloke? Yeah, all right, yeah. yeah. It's, actually, we have got a job for you. And it's a panicked voice said, it's Elvis Costello in the attractions Amazing. at the Nashville Rooms. That was the hottest ticket, bar none, in town. I can tell you, this was December wow. 1977. They just put out That's uh, a hell of a... True. But I just, when I got there, I said, well, am I on a, you know, how do I get in? So oh, you'll be on the guest list. So I got there. I was not on the guest list. <laughs> so then I thought, well, I'll never get in. This is my big break. This is my first review. And my whole career, like you, yeah, my, whole life. my whole yes. life is just hinged upon this terrible moment where if I do not get physically inside the Nashville rooms yeah, yeah. and watch Elvis Costello and some of his attractions, you know, my career will just crumble. Yeah. And eventually I met a guy in the queue who turned out to be the brother-in-law of Elvis. He was the brother of a girl called Mary who right. was married to um, oh, right. Elvis Costello. Yeah. And he said, that's my brother-in-law, yeah. Yeah, do you want, I can get you. Yeah, no problem. I said, mate, do it. There's a pint of beer in it. He went in, he brought Elvis out. Not telling me, Amazing. not telling Elvis that I was in there. He said, this guy here for the press. I think Elvis was trying to be nice with his brother-in-law and trying to make everyone feel happy. <laughs> and Elvis came, I remember it so vividly. He was so kind of thin and angry and wiry. And do you remember these big specs and sweaty? You know? <laughs> and he came in a bit, a bit of a rush and he didn't tell him I was from the, uh, from the record mirror. Um, he got me in. I bought the guy a pint. I thought, thank God for that. I'm there. I took furious notes. And then at the end of it, thought, well, reporters, what they ought to do is go along with their spiral band notebooks and do a little bit of, you know, let the old tip of the pencil do an interview. So I went into the um, oh, yeah. no, into the dressing room, and there was Jake Riviera, the manager of the group, who you know, Dave, and if you don't know, he was a monumental thug. Jake, if you're listening, you're a lovely guy, I've seen you recently. <laughs> he was but he could the be most terrifying man in the world. I went in there, and there was um, two members of the Blockheads, three members of Graham Parker's rumour, including Graham Parker himself, and all of the attractions, so a terrifying collection of people. So I got the first guess. Um, Steve Naive, is it? Are we talking about <laughs> IE or, or EI? And they go, who's this fucking. <laughs> and I'm sure, hello, and you, well, obviously, you're Elvis, we met before, Elvis, terrific show. If I can just possibly get a bit. I didn't really know what you did, I thought you went and interviewed people. I just didn't yeah, know. I yeah. mean, you know, I was 22 or something, oh. I just didn't know. But, you know, uh, you've been reading the music. And no, the worst thing was that at this point, at this point, Jake. I've told him this story many times, and he, he thinks I'm, I'm actually um, playing it down. He thinks he was much more violent to me than, uh, than he actually <laughs> was. Jake picked me up, and I had a green velvet jacket, and I had long curls, ringlets, looking very much like virtually everybody in the camera yes. these uh, ma- magazines we're looking at now. Members of Lindy's farm, they're very long. And this was 1977. Bad move. I've been in America, didn't realise. Punk rock. You know. <laughs> he picked me up, he lifted me off the ground, and he banged me into the wall. He said, we hate the fucking record mirror, and we hate hippies with green velvet jackets now. Fuck off! And he just <laughs> threw me out of the stairs and out of the room. So what Jake did, had only uh, recently cut his hair and got uh, uh, exactly, uh, up his green velvet jacket. Jake, of course, the uh, public schoolboy. Manager of, yeah, exactly, <laughs> of Brinsley Schwartz. <laughs> so I walked home, and on my way home, I took off my velvet jacket and oh. I put it, it was freezing cold. I can remember, I had to walk, it was so late, I had to walk all the way back to Battersea. Four miles, I took it off and I put in oh the word. waste paper bin attached to the bus stop. I thought, this, my career is, you know, clearly... Yeah. I thought, so you had all your bad yeah. experiences first time out? All of them. My that's, first ex- time. that's extraordinary. And when they ran it, they ran it, and it, they, the only thing they did was they'd spelt my name wrong. It was the only thing, Mark yeah. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought, Humbly. that kind of actually did just and take did you, a little bit of the shine off it, really. Yeah. And how did your mother feel friends. about this? Yeah, exactly. Because, I, because yeah. when you're first, your name first appears in print... I my name print, professionally to Mark Allen. The person that matters most when your name first appears in print is your mother, isn't it? Of course, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because she will... She cuts it out and she'll keep it forever. 
evermore, yeah. and if they get anything slightly wrong, my my this first is Alan, time, how is Mark? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> when I first appeared in print, it was Dave Hepworth, and my my mother said, "You've got a ni- you've got she a name." Said, didn't she said, "Did use it?" Oh dear! Yeah. And yeah. Ever since then, it's been. <laughs> and what, it's what been was your piece? I well, I, I get mixed up. There, there, there were two around about the same time. <laughs> they were both incredibly groovy records to be seen to be reviewing in 1975, 76, whatever. There were there was the amazing rhythm aces, too stuffed to jump, <laughs> or John Hartford's Mark Twang. There really were, uh, you know, when you first start as a freelance on, on those papers, and certainly in those days, it probably still goes on now. You're so far down the food chain. Oh, yeah. You know, you approach the oh, reviews yeah, yeah. editor. Oh. Usually in those days, the reviews editor sat in front of a huge green metal cupboard. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Which you often locked. locked. Yeah, Definitely often locked. locked. Stop people because it was full of Stop records for review. Stealing the records. And you used to have to approach him pretty much on your bended knees. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, it's, and, it's, and he'd say, yeah. "Just have a look in there, see if there's anything you found." And of course, like a fool, you would go, you'd open it, and you go, "Oh, television's marquee moon <laughs> yes, or whatever." Yeah. And like go, that. "No, not that." That's exactly <laughs> what happened to me. No, not that. Down below. That's no, exactly. further, no, further that's down. For Ken. Down the bottom. That's, <laughs> you haven't seen that. That's <laughs> for Charlie Murray. Down the bottom. And you get down the bottom, and there was always a wishbone ax, ash double there was, album. There was, was always, the, there were always a few records. Live that, record by Thin that he was getting given a low degree by a PRO. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and so he had to get somebody to review it, and it was oh, usually the the most Bill recent Nelson's person. Red noise. There's always an album by Bill Nelson's Red Noise, and it was always me that to review. Well, the it. the person I have to thank really was a, a chap that's that's written for, for the word on many occasions, Jim Irving, because um, oh lovely, I wrote I wrote fan letters to him when he was the lead singer of Furniture. And he, I bet he, he will still, still have those frames. <laughs> he'll be listening to this now and he'll be crying. <laughs> aren't you, Jim? Be honest. Just polish him. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he um, and he and I used to write a fanzine, and um, he um, and he and I interviewed him for it. And, and then uh, a few years down the line, when I really should have been too old to 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 be writing fanzines, um, he um, uh, one landed on the desk at Melody Maker and. Um, and Jim remembered remembered it was me, and, and he wrote me a letter and and said, "Why don't you try your hand at sort of doing a test review for Melody Maker? Because your fanzines kind of we passed it around the office. Test review, I love it. And uh, what what were you uh, given to? to well, well, that was the, the the one that was the Sankey's one. I mentioned oh, yeah, yeah. one. But the thing was, but he, um, but it was um, it was just, it was so nerve wracking. And, and and he was my in. So basically, knowing someone, being able to turn up at reception and say, "I'm here to see so and so." Meant that I could physically get into the office. So <laughs> pretty much the minute I finished my degree, I went to London and uh, and just loitered aggressively. Um, and I think one way just come see Irvin. Uh, which yeah, paper yeah. was this? Melody Maker. Melody yeah, yeah. Maker. It was Jim there, uh, right? And I was. Um, Where were they in those days? On the twenty-sixth floor of, of King's Reach King's Tower. <laughs> Tower uh, a, a beautiful view. I yeah, mean, yeah. to me, it was like I in my head, I was. Um, I felt like I'd had a great time at university, and now I was the main character in the spin-off sitcom of of the of the sitcom that had been made in my life at university of, of this gang of people that were at university. And in my head, the, the the sitcom was probably called something like "Making It on My Own." Yeah, and you know, and you and and the opening scene would be me walking across Blackfriars Bridge, and it would suddenly pan back, and you'd see all of London. Yeah, and then you'd have someone like Paul Nicholas singing a song called "Making It on My Own." Perfect, and, and then I. I kind of knock on the glass door, sort of looking, hoping, hoping for my first commission, and everyone just throw things at me. Which you haven't got a spotty handkerchief or a stick. Which over, one? Your, over your, over your <laughs> well, it was that kind of thing. And it, it wasn't dissimilar to, uh, and and it was, um, and everyone, you know, I, I'm friends with a few of them now, but but there was a relative atmosphere of hostility towards. Oh, oh God, kidding! Yeah. You were lucky. Come to the New Musical Express. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please come with me, oh, Pete, and young. find Neil oh, Spencer, <laughs> Phil McNeil, oh. Tony Stewart, um, Monty you, Smith. Oh, oh my God! The most put terrifying of human when you came in. Oh, horrible! Paul Denoyer and I once had a, a conversation about this. And I think both of us confessed that we quite often used to go to the coaching horses, cry, uh, go to cars beforehand, and, <laughs> and have a live, uh, just have a short, just yes, to get us, yes. just to get us through the door. We were so nervous and terrified. After a while, I just decided that, that I was actually invisible because. Um, Hardly anyone was. I, I didn't have a computer, so I'd have to, there was a, there was like a spare computer, in the, and which uh, and your back was facing away from the rest of the office when you were sitting at the computer. So yeah, since then, I've come to realise that everyone everyone was going, tell him to fuck off. No, you tell him to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
but I didn't know any any better, and I just re- really thought I was invisible. And um, around about that time, I started I started going out with a, another freelancer who was better known than me, who's now my wife, Catlin Moran, and she. Um, Good work. Thank you. That's like <laughs> Dylan trying to get on stage with Joan Byers. <laughs> you thought it through. Brilliant so, career move. Carry yeah. on. I, yeah. I'm just, I was, of course I'm Joan Byers, aren't I? Uh, <laughs> yeah. If that, you know. Yeah. Um, I was, I'm probably Melanie, actually. <laughs> yes. Anyway, and uh, so basically, um, and then anyway, so I kind of like skulked into the office one day and I was kind of hiding between the rotor stack thing of where they keep the picture library and no one could see I was there. And I overheard the news editor talking to the assistant news editor and he'd say, and then, right, I saw them, I saw them walking out of uh, Marks and Spencer's in King's Road, hand in hand. I said, no, really? Yeah. And then one of them kissed the other. And then I just hang on. I was, about you. I was in Marks and Spencer's <laughs> on Saturday on the Kings Road. They they've never said a word to me, and yet they're just kind of talking about me, and so it kind of like kind of validated my existence in this sort of. And those were the days when the officers were always the same. They had partitions, didn't they? Yes, which yes. didn't get to the scene. See, if yeah. anybody was bad mouthing oh, yeah. anybody, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you would know. Oh, you'd know about it. So they, you know, it was really it was a, a classic arena to hurt people in. That but Jim, Jim was lovely. I wrote an appalling feature about Shut Up and Dance. And, uh, and Jim sort of stayed late there one night and kind of sent, took me through, told me in the most gentle, kind way all the reasons why it was rubbish <laughs> and uh, essentially rewrote it for me. Anyway, <laughs> Bless I noticed in NME, um, May the 6th, 1972, that um, Genesis are playing Bangor University. And this is helpful, you see, because, because with new bands, they have a little annotation telling us whether or not we should go and see them. Extremely adventurous and unusual band who must break this year. They're Keith Emerson's favourite group, and he's not easily pleased. <laughs> Touch of the King Crimsons, but not so harsh. Terrific lyrics and playing. Don't miss them. That's probably kind of sound advice, I guess. <laughs> Can you remember any classic headlines from... Um... Sorry, I've got to read you this little bit here. Actually. This isn't a headline, so I just noticed this. This is how, how reviews used to start in 1972. This is a review of Close to the Edge by Yes. I respect the integrity and musicianship of Yes. They're evidently a nice bunch of intelligent lads, <laughs> with the possible exception of Bill Bruford, comma. <laughs> they possess a self-propelled and single-minded collective vision of their role on Earth and an intensity which scorches my ears. Oh, Can you yeah. imagine starting a review like that? No, oh, no, sorry, no. Dave, it's by you. <laughs> 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 well, that's embarrassing. Oh, anyway, no, no, and the headlines. Great headlines. Can you remember any? Well, the, I was, uh, by, uh, in any era. Any era. Um, I, um, I tell you what, I, had, I thought of the best headline ever, but I couldn't use it because it was two weeks after I left Melody Maker. It didn't occur to me to phone them up and use it. There was a story about a uh, Courtney Love imitator who was uh, doing the rounds and uh, causing a lot of trouble. In, uh, in the sort of, you know, charging up enormous bar bills and stuff like that, and it turned out that she was an imitator. Anyway, I, I saw this news story, and then, uh, but the, the, the tragedy was that they forgot to use the headline. I don't know who you are, but you're a real dead ringer for love. Okay. Oh, wasn't the one? Was there was one uh, a, a sort of lookalike thing involving Bruce Springsteen? What was that one about? Uh, what was Springsteen yeah. imitators? Do you remember? You, you no, wait no, for no. one one boss and then six come along. <laughs> was one time I went, you could see where it was going. It was people, what are you going to do with this <coughs> when, this collection when you've uh, you've finished delighting people on Twitter with uh, I don't, I don't, old music papers hashtag? I don't think it's ever possible. I mean, there's so much. This is really like this is more than you know. This is more than the collected works of Enid Blyton or something. Uh, <laughs> You could go on forever. Because uh, people have started posting old music papers on on the web, haven't they? Well, they talked about the, up by a the guy, smash hits. Yeah, there's a guy around, I did an interview with a terrific fellow called Sam from The Independent, which is coming out on Tuesday of next week, and they, they, The Independent are very on it. This, this guy who, who, in fact, it's interesting. This guy lives in Los Angeles. I don't know yeah. his name, but the story is, as you would imagine, he goes back home to Bury. So already you can see to what extent this is linked with homesickness, actually, and nostalgia. And his mother is throwing out from the family home wow. a box of his music papers. He says, no, please don't do that. But I think, again, in the digital world, he's thinking, I, I actually haven't got room for them myself. Yeah. I can't let them go. So the interim uh, process for him is to scan these things and put them up. And he's put up countless editions now of Select Magazine and countless oh, yes, editions I of Smash yeah, Hits. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember his name, and I went and had a look at it. It was very, And, of course, now that's... That's driven a huge amount of traffic, mm. and it, it drives traffic in a, in a way that's unlike music because music is a, is a very personal experience. Yeah. If you hear a 
Come on Eileen or something, and it's the soundtrack to some event in your life. That's that's the event in your life and your girlfriends or whoever or your mates is not going to mean a great deal to other people. What it does mean is going to be different. But the collective experience of looking back at an old edition of Select or Smash is absolutely overpowering. Oh, really like is. I'm finally looking at these because it, it's just a, without wish to use a terrible cliche, it's a little tiny time capsule oh, which yeah. goes sideways. It's not just oh we're looking at yes and ELP and head, hands and feet. We're looking at look at this fantastic. It's like it's like no, it's like knowing the Fairport Convention. That's the picture actually taken in the unhalfbricking uh, garden, isn't it? Yeah, Am I right? I think or would it that looks be right? like it. It could be. I think it is. Mm. How fantastic. Yeah. Uh, no, it's not. It's, it's no, the garden. garden. Oh, yeah, they've been garden. thrown out of the house where they're recording and they're pictured in the garden. The yeah. house they've had it's, to uh, tell me that is that a house is Farley Chamberlain in, oh, right. in Dorset. That's when they're making Legion Leaf. Oh, right. But the, th- the great thing is that it's actually the feeling, the feeling is it's like knowing the future. It's like looking yes. because, of course, you yeah. know what happened. And that's, yeah. I think, that is the powerful thing about reading this stuff you know i think whoever owns the rights to this and particularly ipc the owners of enemy and melody maker they ought to do a you know a, a, re, a reproduced old edition as a promotion with a contemporary enemy they ought to just put one inside a yeah. facsimile from 1972 it'd be absolutely fascinating well, they, it's, all kinds of people, it's it? the same thing it's Every like time. It's being there at the time. It's like, you know, the, the, the TV channel I fantasise about is, you know, you have these archive, these kind of archive TV channels that kind of take you back, but what you actually want is to see a, a whole day of programming. Absolutely. Exactly as it was. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you the nearest seen... thing to that is when they started rerunning the old general election yes. coverage. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> Because that was really like being back there. Yes, absolutely. Because they're running Have six hours seen, or whatever. Did you see the was it the 1970 election where they kind of cut to about three in the morning? They had a nightclub in the West End, and they had sort of a and it, there was I think it was carpeted, which was quite revelatory. <laughs> And it was quite quite bright, and all these browns and oranges, and there were these kind of really kind of cool young guys dancing. I think they were dancing to Bluebeat, actually, which is in itself great. Very cool. Just wanted to be there. Sorry, Fantastic. what you were saying? No, I was going to say there's a wonderful uh, uh, six episodes of the Ed Sullivan Show, which we've talked about, I think, on previous on Casts Passim. Yes, which are absolutely incredible. They are the the entire recording. It was a live broadcast with the advertising. So you get the Beatles, then you get an advert for Tetley's Tea. <laughs> and then you get uh, a guy juggling plates, and, and then you get an advert for uh, incredibly new, with spivvy new equipment which can make blamange. So what you we want is a TV with a date display on the front. You just yeah. punch in, yes, you yeah. know, July the 12th, 1968, and you get the evening's viewing, as well, it there was. There must have been at least some days where, where they have everything. Even if they threw away a lot of stuff, there just must be, for whatever you like, like with elections, there must be some days where they can piece together the entirety of what happened that day. Well, on radio, they must be able to do it as well. Yeah. Right? You know, that's the, I, can, I can imagine that being very appealing. And so the other thing, the other thing I think is, is, is that when you go back to these, not so much with the very early copies of Disc and Music Echo, because they don't have a, a particular personality; they're just a, um, a template to, to, to transfer news and information. But the later ones, like Smash Hits, what people remember is they don't remember. Oh, Smash Hits! Uh, well, they once had a riveting interview with Siobhan Fay of Banana Rubber. What they remember is the community yes. nonsense that's yeah. going in there. The grouting, the magazine, yeah. the, the grouting, the magazine that used to uh, ask people what. What colour is well, Tuesday? The, the thing they remember they most remember. fondly is black type, actually, about Smash Hits. That's, thing, that's yeah. the thing people still ask about now. I, 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 did I, wrote, to, I wrote to black type. Did you get did you? Really? Me. I would have written back to you. How really? Funny. I, I did an the, interview I... on, on the, uh, last, this week, actually, with a, guy, with a guy who's compiling a book about the life of Felix Dennis, the publisher. Oh, yeah. And Felix wants to have the various publications that he was responsible for documented. And so he came to me. I am, I think, the only surviving member of the team uh, of that produced New Music News. Uh, oh, wow. We went through the master, and I'm afraid to say four of those people are dead. Oh, <laughs> so, I know, so it's astonishing. These are people my age. But anyway, I looked at that, and, and we had trails for next, the next week's issue, written by myself and Tom Hibbert, and they were so like what we went on to do at Smash Hits. They were just these, we would find a photograph and invent a dialogue between two photographs from old, you know, soap operas and things. And they were so psychedelic. I was really quite thrilled, actually. We used to write photo captions in nonsense rhymes. I would write the first half, and Tom would write the second. <laughs> then we'd reverse it for the next caption. So all the captions were like... So there's one picture of the Thompson twins at uh, the Hope and Anchor, and the headline, was, the caption was, Bashy Bazooks, it's the Thompson twins, dash. Sometimes you lose, sometimes you wins. And we must have thought that was hilarious, which actually was, I think. I was amazed to discover when I was looking recently on a photo agency, and I just on a photo agency website, and I just put in smash hits, and the pictures that came up were me and Steve Bush... It was, it was the other day. It was Sooty and yeah, Sweet. Yeah, 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 I remember 
when we had the singles reviewed by City and Sweet. Yeah. And it's, it's the idea that that's the only thing that's gone into the historical archive. Yeah. Is, <laughs> is, a, is a weird, you know, idea like that. Well, yeah, I remember when an, an 11-year-old boy reviewed the singles in Smash Hits. That was my idea, and if he's listening, I still feel bad about it. Oh, right. It had a terrible, terrible effect on him. His name was Marshall. Did it, really? <laughs> terrible effect on him. It, what happened was... I'm going to tell you this story very briefly. He was yeah. 11, he was called Marshall, and he used to write in all the time, because people used to write in those days. That's kind of thing I would have done, yeah. And uh, he was very, very keen. He was an absolute super fan. And I was quite keen on him, because he was, wasn't a girl. Mostly it was girls, you yeah. know, who read Smash Hits. And it was quite interesting to get a boy's perspective. And once or twice, you know, he'd ring up, and I would say, uh, Marshall, just, just a moment, just, what do you think of the new Madness record? I, mean, I, I think they might have lost it. And he would give me a, a, quite a well-constructed mm. argument as to why that maybe they hadn't lost it, you know. And at one point, egged on by Neil Tennant, I have to say, I just, I just thought, you know what? Let's get old Marshall to do yeah. the singles. And he came in, we gave him the bag of singles, and he sat there all day. And well, he looked like Harry Potter. He looked like Harry Potter. Yeah. He actually had a pair of National Health Spectacles yeah, I remember. with a tiny piece of elastoplast on the left, holding a hinge together. And he looked really sweet, and I thought, this is just going to be great. And also, I felt good about this guy, because he's a little bit nervous, a little bit shy, yeah. a little bit of an outsider, and it's going to just bond him with all the classmates and make him a bit of a hero at school. <laughs> no, no. <And> precisely <laughs> the reverse <laughs> happened to Marshall. Marshall, if you're listening, I really am really he penitent about this. What actually happened was, because everyone thought, why fucking Marshall? Mm, why all yeah. yeah, 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 I yeah. Like, I like madness. Fucking Marshall, that goon, that you know, you, what you in the did, corner with broken glasses has somehow got to smash it. You created the Darren Byrne of music. Do you remember Darren Byrne? No, I don't know. Who's Darren Byrne? Okay, he was a... You look up this on YouTube. It has a quite a tragic ending, but he was the subject of a Man Alive... Was it Man Alive? A documentary uh, in the early 70s called Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. And... Um, he was the son of, a, of, of someone who worked at EMI, and obviously not much happening at EMI at the very beginning of the 70s. And uh, they decided they were going to launch a child star in the vein of Jimmy Osmond, etc. And um, so it'd be Dar- Darren Byrne. The, Darren Byrne was the son of the, um, one, as one of the people who worked there. And uh, so they launched him, and he, he, lived in, um, he lived in Southgate, so it's just a, so you got the fantastic period footage of Southgate, Mock Tudor streets, and so forth. Something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, and Darren Byrne has no. You look at him and poor, poor Darren. You know he's kind of be, be sort of frog marched into this arena that he kind of thinks, well, this will probably be good. I'll get to be famous. You know, most eleven-year-olds kind of want to be famous. They put him in the studio. He can't really sing very well. They make him sing uh, his debut single. There's a version of "Something's Got on Hold of My Heart." And it's not very good, but you know. Nevertheless, they put it out because they think there's a market for it, and um, and it's, and and the the, co- the commentary is just very damning. The, the commentary is very, this should not be happening, and uh, and and anyway, he he sort of they the, he you see him at the launch for his own single, and they speak to Roy Carr, who I think was a melody, yeah, was a melody maker. He's very rude about it. Everyone's rude about it. everyone in the industry is rude about it, apart from people at EMI. He's introduced to uh, to either Cook or Greenaway, who you know who wrote yeah. the song, um, and they're rude about it to his face, <laughs> and still they persist with this kind of fated. Uh, you know, uh, uh, project. He d- does a version of Concrete and Clay, which is rubbish as well. Doesn't nothing charts. Anyway, so um, so basically, he's, he's he, he, what happened afterwards. He went back to school. He was viciously bullied because, of course, he was. Uh, he never became famous, so he never got the protection that no, fame no, no. affords you. Yeah. And eventually, um, there was a kind of follow-up do- documentary strand made about. It was part of Nationwide or something. Why are they anything? And where the, 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 the reporter who did the original documentary kind of tracked him back. And he was immensely troubled by what had happened to him. Um, I think he was a computer programmer or something. And then a, a few weeks after that aired, he committed suicide. Oh, Christ. I but it's amazing. I mean, I'm sure it's out there on YouTube because, you know, I've, sort of, I've watched it a couple of times. It's just a, it's, an, it's an incredible period piece. Uh, anyway, what was that a tangent from? I can't remember. Oh, that was Mark making Marshall review the singles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, let's, <laughs> so you're responsible. Oh, <laughs> Listen, Pete, thanks Sorry. very much no, no, not at all. for bringing those in. And, and now you're gonna, he's going to put him back in his saddlebags and cycle back up the hill. In, his, in my pannier, off to correct. And, and, and if anybody else has got, uh, if they've got an attic full of old music papers, are you in the market for them? Very much so, yes. <laughs> Don't forget Hawkwinder at the Oval. <laughs> And Slade to tour at a Zapper interview on page 27. The Word Podcast. Clearly, 
There is no plan. Are we back? We are back. Uh, so we're joined by Alex Wutar. Um, Hello. Who's been put together the CD. What's been happening in Wutar land, Alex, in the last What's few weeks? What's been happening in land? Well, um, We've been touring anywhere. You're, you're normally going some far-flung we're going spot. to Bruges, actually, at the end of the month. You're going to Bruges? Yeah. Can't go wrong in Bruges. Have you seen the film In Bruges? I have indeed. Uh, well, so you know what to expect. What I'm <laughs> most impressed about with uh, Alex Gold, to whom we are talking, is he comes into the word office, some days with an electric bass, because he's a bassist in one band, which mm-hmm. is that? Uh, that is The Tones. The Tones. He's the guitar player in the Wu-Tars, and he's the drummer in... What's that band you just toured Europe with? In the Durellis. And also Left With Pictures. Got... I've just joined. Um... And there's a <laughs> duo, isn't there? There's a duo as well. Duo, oh, that's uh, Holly, um, Holly Partridge. But we, we're kind of in between making things at the moment. So he's like a multi-instrumentalist. Can, can, can I make a, a gen- generalisation about the youth of today? Yeah, go on. Alex is a representative of... <laughs> They're not as slack as they used to be. No. <laughs> no. I, I, I feel that somebody ought to write this story. Yeah. You know I mean? It ought to be a big story in the Daily Mail. I don't think you have idle youth like you used to. Did you spend your youth lying around on a, on a sofa eating biscuits? Um, I did that and I climbed trees till I was about 12. <laughs> yes. So, I no, know. Mark's talking about when you're 23. I mean, I mean, oh, I mean, <laughs> 20, 23. I mean, it's to the I average 23 year old, legend has it. You know what? Actually, is what? supine upon their parents' sofa, <laughs> changing the television channels with their toes, <laughs> leaving tipping ash all over brand new <laughs> sofas. Refusing you know, to yeah. clear out cereal yeah, bowls. And leaving banana skins and sort of chocolate. But you're not like that, Alex, are you? When I was 23, I was, uh, I, I was studying, I was doing a degree. Uh, and I had a job in a cafe in the day and, and a strip club in the evening. It's a horrible little place, uh, I'm not going to name, in Wickham. Um, Wickham Strip Wickham Club. Strip Club. Maybe the sin club. quarter of Wickham. It, it, was, it, was, it was pretty What was it? I want to know It was called Something A Go-Go. It was called the, the black, black Hat. The Black the Blue cat, Light. The Blue Light. The Red Light. It was, it was called, trumpet. It was, called, <laughs> it was called The White Horse. And oh, it, okay. It's actually where Kings of Leon played their first UK gig and they were interviewed about it quite frequently in the early days and... Uh, people used to ask them, what's the most memorable, memorable gig you've played? And they used to go, oh, there was this horrible strip club in some backwater town west of London. <laughs> that, that was the one. But, but you've I, never slacked, have you, Alex? Uh, I try not to. No, I don't think you do. You see, I've noticed this Julia Cromwell who works in this office, who, after the Christmas party, which started at one o'clock in the afternoon, and she was still partying at five the following morning, wasn't she, Fraser? But the really remarkable thing was she was in the office at nine. Yes, yeah. There was no kind of... You know, I'm sorry, I'm going to bed for a week. No. To be fair, yeah. though, weren't we exactly the same day? Well, no, I can remember <laughs> going to do music express with staff all night and just go to work the next day. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. I so, so, Alex, what we got on the CD this month, right, which well, is with the new issue of Word, is Alex's, amongst Alex's duties is putting together this with Andrew Harrison. Uh, what have you got? Well, um, the CD opens with a track by the lovely Nicole Atkins, who I'm a little bit in love with. Um, you got a bit of a crush? A little bit, yeah. I'll try to encourage you to get Nicole Atkins for one of the word in your ear gigs at some point. But you probably need to stand on the square of cold lino as you're watching. <laughs> anyway, go on, carry on. Um, so that's it. It's a track called Vultures. Um, she's a singer-songwriter from New Jersey. But it sounds a little bit like, um, like You Know You're Right by Nirvana, oddly enough. Right. It really works well. There's a good chip, uh, clip on YouTube of her uh, playing Jules Holland. Um and there's a, there's a cut shot to Metallica gawping over it. Oh, yes, that's true. Boys. Yes, <laughs> yes, ogling. Yeah, that's true. What else we got? There's a Human League track on here, on a record that everybody... I, I hate to use the expression, return to form, but, you know, this appears to be... It is being greeted as return to form, isn't it, Mark, this it Human is, League it's record? It is, it's pretty good, actually, yeah, I, like, I quite like it, yeah. And the Unthanks, um, who I do like... With a strange phonetic uh, song called "Gan to the Kai," which I won't pretend to know the meaning of, but it's uh, it's pretty haunting stuff. What's your favourite, Alex? My favourite is probably the uh, track by Frankie and the Heartstrings, um, which is called "Ungrateful," and it's a single of theirs, I believe. Um, but it's it's just uh, it's just a textbook slice of, of Mac and rock and roll uh, in a similar vein to the Future Heads, I guess. Um, but I, I just really, I just really like it. Oh, right, yeah. okay. Frankly, in the heartstrings. That's a very uh, antiquated name for a group. It's probably better than some of the names we've been having going across the desk recently, Mark. I mean, we've been remarking on some staggeringly terrible names. You know, the, the names, names that, that make you want to change your name to Elbow. Yeah. That yes. <laughs> yes, Elbow is a step up in, t- in terms yeah. of charisma, isn't it? So uh, the Penguin Cafe, which is the, the son of uh, Simon Jeffs. 
Simon Jeffs, yep. Arthur Jeffs, the late Simon Jeffs of Penguin Cafe Orchestra, his son uh, Arthur, who's continuing the family business, I suppose. Uh, and that's good as well. So it is, as usual, 15 tracks uh, of, um, of high quality listening, uh, available with a the, with the new issue of, uh, of World, which is out now. It's out now, I think, isn't it? Yeah. I've got to throw in... Um, Rolling Stones readers have been voting on the ten uh, best live acts of all time. Who are they? Come on, you got to uh, guess. Is it Dogs to More? <laughs> <laughs> ten. Come on, see if you can get the ten. I want to know if you can guess all right, the I can ten. Tell you, I, can, I can tell you straight away. Uh, in no particular order, in yeah. the top ten will be because I know Rolling Stone. It'll obviously yeah. be Prince will be in there. No, uh, Bruce Springsteen's E Street. Bruce Springsteen is in there. Go on, uh, Rolling Stones, Rolling Stones are in there. Yes, go on, keep going. ACDC. Bob Marley the is not in there. ACDC. No, live acts we're talking. Uh, Live yes. acts. The Who? Yes. Really who are there? So you've got three. The Clash. No. Really? Don't think they're there. No. Okay. <laughs> Voted for them by the readers. That's three. Um, Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd, yes. Oh, well, for okay. um, Michael Jackson? No, I don't think Michael Jackson's uh, Not Madonna, is it? Uh, not Madonna. Should be Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga, yeah. say. Not that there. Be not there. There's only one act from, uh, from after the 80s, and that is uh, Pearl Jam. Oh, really? Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> and he looked to me like the list. I can't remember the whole list, but uh, you know, it's a classic case of the list is is a load of obvious ones, and then they get to number eight or nine. And somebody, somebody's obviously gone. Hang on, this is all a bit old, or this is all a bit white, or whatever. And that's where Pearl Jam suddenly comes in there. It is like those lists of classic albums always go. Sergeant Pepper, da 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 da. Then then they go Marvin Gaye's What's Going On is always yeah. number nine. Um, it's voted for by the readers. Um, and so I just wanted to know what you would you would you have had anybody in there that, uh, that we haven't mentioned already? Ooh. You see, they have Bruce well, Springs. Bruce Springs is number one. I, uh, Lady Gaga, the greatest thing I have, I've seen in my life. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. I do, honestly. And I think it's rather. I think it, one has to accept these things. You can't sit there and say the greatest <clears> thing <throat> I saw with Bob Marley in the Wailers. Because it's basically you know, the greatest gig you've ever seen, the greatest live band of all time in a butthole surfers. Okay. Well, the greatest band of all time. Oh, well, Bob Marley and the Wailers. What about you, Alex? Greatest band of all time. Live. I, live. I'd agree with The Who, to be honest. You, um, right. Yeah. When did um, you see The Who? I saw The Who. I saw them twice, actually. I saw them in 2002. Um, and that was John Entwistle's last tour. And Joe Strummer was supporting with his Mescaleros. And, of course, like six months later, they were both dead. Right. Um, and, I, and I saw them with Pino Palladino on bass uh, two years afterwards. And it just wasn't as good. No. But pre, um, pre, pre-Pino Who were just <laughs> mint. But that's um, with Kenny Jones on the drums. That's no, not it was Zach Starkey. Um, oh, right. Okay. It's not really Keith good. Moon. It's not Keith Moon. But he, Have you seen the famous clip with Roger Daltrey twirling the microphone where he lets go of the, the mic and no, it goes flying out into the audience? It <laughs> is my absolute favourite thing yeah. on YouTube. If you haven't seen it already, do go and look yeah. at it. And he's Straight just, away after this podcast. In his head, he's already thinking about the possible lawsuit. Brains. Lies. 12-year-old girl. And he, he goes in, in an instant from being Did swaggering. Did he like a fishing line at one point? I think he does. He tries to get it back, yeah. yeah. And uh, But he's, he's this swaggering rock and roll god who's, you know, 25, not 69 or whatever he is. And as soon as this microphone connects with the litigious-looking gentleman in the third row, he, he, he instantly turns into the most embarrassed person on God's he earth. He said his hands just go yeah. over his yeah. mouth. Oh, my yeah. God, what Begging. have I done? <laughs> <laughs> it's my absolute favourite thing on, on, on YouTube. Uh, any other business, anything else to say in this week's podcast? What are we doing this weekend, Fraser? You're not going to watch football in a far-flung place? I am. Go I'm, on. I'm, uh, well, tonight I'm going to see Staff Bender Balili at the uh, Union Chapel, which would be lovely. Bit of uh, is that, con- that's not... nonsense. Oh, OK, right, fine. And then uh, tomorrow I'm off to Hanover. I'm going to get a train to Bremen to watch uh, Werder Bremen play Borussia Mönchengladbach. And then the following day I'm get another train to Hamburg to watch St. Pauli, who are the team that's based in the red light area, who are owned by... The a, fans, aren't they? The fans, and the, the chairman is, I believe, a, a gay activist Marxist. Right. And don't they have really good food as a bully? They that... do. They have. If you have a VIP seat, which I don't, they have a model railway which delivers sausages. And oh, they're, uh, uh, and they're playing uh, Stuttgart. And, then, I mean, and yes. also going to Miniatur Wunderland, which is the uh, world's largest model railway. This is brilliant. So that's uh, a packed uh, weekend, uh, isn't it? Remember uh, the massive called Patrick? 
uh, Woodruff, who sent in a, a clip of this phenomenal... How big is the model railway? It's, 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 it's warehouse-sized. It's, it's incredible. He sent it in for um, something for the weekend, which was Fraser included. It's amazing. A warehouse-sized uh, model railway of the whole of, of Europe, isn't it? I mean, is they it have Europe? a section which is Scandinavia, yeah. which is Switzerland. They have the, the American section. Yeah. So if you're spending the most of the weekend under the duvet, you know, watching, <laughs> watching television, you should be ashamed. Because Fraser's setting an example for all of us, isn't he? This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, go to wordmagazine.co.uk or apply at your newsagent every month. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.